0: Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter and Dr. Sean Baker. Sean is a strength and high-intensity athlete and coach, setting personal records into his 50s. Zach is an endurance coach and athlete who competes for the S, Fuels, and Ultra Footwear Extreme Endurance Teams. Together, Zach and Sean bring you a wide range of topics with guests from around the world. Topics include health, nutrition, physical fitness, and sports. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit paypal.me forward slash HPOPod or patreon.com forward slash HPOPodcast. If you wish to sponsor the show, please reach out to us at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. The links to all of these can be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform Or for the video versions of the show, head over to YouTube and search Human Performance Outliers Podcast. If you enjoy a show, please consider sharing with your friends and family on social media. Now, on to the next topic. All right, folks, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers Podcast. This particular episode is going to be a solo one with just me. And the reason being is I'm going to use this episode to do a bit more of a deep dive into how I structure my training when I'm preparing for a hundred mile race. And one of the reasons why I want to kind of do a little bit more of a deep dive into this is because I think on this show, historically, we've definitely touched on kind of my approach. We've done some kind of what I would consider a kind of brief jump into like just the general structure of things, but maybe not so much all in one scope or one kind of deep dive to show you kind of the how's and the whys as to where I'm structuring things for these hundred mile efforts. Um, also just a little bit of a way to maybe share with folks who aren't as familiar with ultra marathon training, because I think when you look at ultra marathon on paper, or you look at like kind of what an ultra marathoner is doing on race day, it oftentimes just looks like a lot of slow, long days out there on the trails or the roads or the track or wherever you happen to be doing this, this type of an effort. And that can kind of get projected into this, this mindset that If you're doing ultra marathons, you just got to run a lot of long, slow miles all the time. And that's kind of the the way to get ready for these things, which I don't find to be the case, uh, a lot anymore. I think historically you'd maybe see a lot of that just because the long, slow stuff is very specific to race day intensity. It's going to be the the kind of the bread and butter of the final touches of a training plan in my opinion, but that kind of uh, leaves out some of the stuff that you're doing to kind of prepare yourself for that phase of the training or that part of the structure that is going to be kind of the race day specific things. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of highlight some of the other areas uh, as well as that component of the training. So you guys can get a, a bit of a look into kind of like what I'm doing throughout the course of a, a full training cycle. And for this particular description, I'm going to use a hundred mile training buildup. And the reason I say that is just to give you a little bit of context, because with ultramarathon, you get this like massive kind of umbrella, of different distances and different terrains in which you're gonna compete. I mean, when you think about it, we're looking at things from about 50 kilometers up to events that take six days to complete and some things even longer than that. And then they're all kind of considered ultra marathons. So it gets a little confusing to people when they just hear ultra marathon uh, as to what what exactly they're doing within the context of that. And uh, the reason I share that with this particular description is because i would do things differently if i were say going to be training for a 50 kilometer race versus a hundred mile race the The order of operations of how i would kind of plug in specific workouts and the timing of all that stuff would be different so in order to not confuse people in that uh i like to kind of share that aspect of it and, and bring that context in and the 100 mile distance just happens to be kind of my favorite the one i focused on the most in my ultra running career so it's the one that made the most sense to do the deep dive in for me um, one other thing I will share is this is very specific to my training. So uh, take that with a grain of salt in terms of like what maybe you would want to do or what you maybe see someone else doing with their own training. Uh, Cause there is this big individual component, I think, and you're going to get a good look at kind of my philosophy of how I would structure a plan for someone else. But I would also be scaling it to the individual by doing a look, a, a really good, hard look at kind of their training history how they've responded to volume, how they've responded to intensity, what were their injury risks, what their purpose is, and all sorts of different things that we're going to be looking at when we're scaling to an individual level. Uh, but you can get a good idea of kind of like where my my direction or my philosophy would be going if I were programming for for someone else besides myself too, by taking a listen into this podcast. But it what. When you listen to this, if you do have questions that kind of pop up as I'm going through these things, please collect them and send them my way. I'd be happy to do a follow-up episode or here, or just chat with an individual over email and things like that if they have questions about kind of the hows and the whys, because even a deep dive into something like this will leave some things out since we are going to be looking at an entire training cycle, kind of from start to finish, uh, from building up towards 100 miles. So here we go. Uh, The thing that I kind of use to guide the training or the buildup is starting kind of from the end or looking at what the end goal is. So for the end goal here, we're looking at a 100 mile race. So I want to be thinking about kind of two things here. What intensity is it going to be for 100 miles and what environment is that going to be taking place in? And the intensity is key because i'm going to always be building my plan from least specific types of things earlier in the plan and moving towards the more specific things that i'll be using on race day as i get closer to that race day and the 100 mile distance is a little unique within the endurance world since it is kind of skewed quite far to one side of the spectrum where you're you're using it's so long that the intensity tends to be quite low relative to some of your traditional like endurance events of like five kilometers up to a marathon, where in races like that, you might be like going back and forth between different systems of intensity a lot more frequently than you will in say a race as long as a hundred miles, where it's really prudent of you to kind of really scale things down to the appropriate intensity and pace yourself right. So you don't find yourself giving back, you know, two minutes for everyone you'd maybe make up early on by pushing past the threshold that you should be touching on race day for a hundred miles. So since it is skewed so far to that one side, a lot of times I'm programming my stuff to be a little more kind of a focus on a specific system at one time and really developing that and then moving on to another one versus kind of blending these systems together. So rather than kind of like your traditional approach that you'd see in a lot of endurance training programs that are more you know, in line with what you'd see from like 5K to marathon where you might see someone doing like a short interval session on one day during the week and then like what you would call like a tempo run or a lactic threshold effort on another day of the week and then a long run kind of at the end of the week and they're kind of doing this hard easy hard addressing like two or three different systems even in within a one week's time frame at at points in training my ultra marathon hundred mile stuff is going to be a little more compartmentalized where we will do all of those things but we will focus in on one of them at a time more or less So the start kind of depends a little bit as where I'm at from my previous training. So I want to make sure I have a very strong foundation from the aerobic standpoint. So depending on where that's at will depend on kind of how I start a plan or whether I look at this as kind of like a 24 week or kind of six month buildup versus a 16 week or four month buildup. And the way I kind of determine that will be as where is my, where, what is my pace at a specific kind of heart rate or intensity. And the gauge I use for that is aerobic threshold. So for me, my aerobic threshold right now tends to be right about 155 beats per minute. So I'll go out and I'll do some runs for maybe a week or so between about 150 to 155 beats per minute at an intensity that I would describe as focused, but very comfortable in the sense that I could carry on a conversation with someone at this intensity. I wouldn't be short of breath if I was speaking with someone and running with a partner here uh but it takes enough focus where i'm just not out there kind of like jogging around at a very low intensity either so it it's kind of akin to what you'd maybe consider like a zone two like a high zone two low zone three in some cases if you're someone who's looking at a more like zone structure of training um which most will kind of have a five point zone with one through five one being the lowest intensity five being the highest Uh, I'm really looking at kind of where my pace is at, at that aerobic threshold range. And for me, historically, when I'm very aerobically fit, I can usually get down to around just under six minute mile pace for that intensity when the weather is perfect and the train is really, really flat. So if I'm right around there, then I know my aerobic foundation is very well established, very well developed. and There's really no sense in me you know, spending another like, say, six to eight weeks trying to develop that before I get into some of the early stage training things that are a little more specific for a a given event. However, if I would have a situation where maybe I was injured and had to take, you know, one to two months off or something like that, or I just had a really, really tough racing season cycle and decided to take a little bit of extra down season, a little bit of extra off season. I just let myself kind of like defit a little more, even at the aerobic level and find that I need a little, I need a little bit more of that foundation put back in place before I kind of get into the real specifics of the training. You know, I might, might default to the 24 week or something in between 24 and 16 weeks, whatever it takes to kind of get myself back to that point where I feel like my aerobic Uh, threshold side of things is very developed and in place. That foundation is there. I'm ready to build whatever I need to build off of that. Um, For me, historically, at least the last few years, I haven't had to do a whole lot of like full 24-week buildups, mostly just because I've been very fortunate and I've only had one injury in the span of the last going on three years now that was you know more than just like, I need to take a day or two off here and let things kind of catch up. So uh, I've been fortunate in that a lot of that aerobic foundation has kind of stayed in place because I haven't had to take significant time off in between building, building up for my next race and the end of my previous one. And my off seasons, even at the end of big races, I've been able to kind of keep in what I would consider the shorter end of, uh, of average, uh, partly just because, uh, I've kind of found a system for me that tends to work really well. I've really dialed in my recovery the last few years and it seems like i'm I'm looking at about maybe a two week window between or two week off season a lot of cases before I can kind of start gradually looking into structuring my training again after a big race and in preparation for another one. So with two weeks kind of unstructured off season, that's not going to be enough time to really put a huge dent into my aerobic development, especially considering that I'm really hammering in that side of the, the intensity window near the end of a lot of training plans for hundred miles because they just tend to be more specific to the intensity I would use on race day. Uh so these things all kind of just go into the timeline side of things. They're less important from just kind of the order of operations. Um unless like I said before, if I would go out and I would do that 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 run of where I'm targeting kind of that aerobic threshold intensity perceived effort, which for me that 150, 155 beats per minute is pretty pretty close to where i would be be at for that and i'd find like let's say i'd find that like i can only run a seven minute mile during that at that intensity then i would know i would need probably a few weeks to kind of hone that in a bit before getting into kind of the specifics of uh, the build-up for that so let's assume i have that in place that aerobic threshold foundation is very much established it's where i want it to be and it's time to kind of get into that like 16 week out from race day type of uh, window of time And the first set of workouts I'm going to really be focusing on are going to be kind of like what they would call your VO2 max system, or in endurance, you'd look at it as short interval sessions. And like I said before, I'm always working from least specific to most specific once I hit this part of the training. So when you think about it, when we're looking at short interval, high intensity stuff, that's very unspecific to hundred milers. So uh, I'm going to do them earlier in the plan. So a lot of times the question is, why do them at all? If you're doing a race where aerobic threshold is maybe the fastest you're going to potentially be going during a race, like 100 miles. Why even bother doing some of these higher intensity VO2 max type workouts? And the answer is basically just because when you look at running in general, it can be a very kind of one-dimensional, like uniform gait, uniform stride, uh, high repetition uh, type of an endeavor. So I think doing these shorter fast intervals just promotes strength and it promotes kind of a more of a well-rounded development of like your, your muscles, your, the muscles you're going to use running. Uh, So you find yourself less likely to be in a position where you're going to come up with an overuse injury because you're just doing a lot of long, slow miles and you have the exact same gait, the exact same repetition day in and day out every day. And then, you know, that's just a common thing for endurance athletes to have happen to them because they are participating in a sport that has, you know, a lot of, uh, A lot of uh, high repetition, um, you know, I guess low weight would be the way to look at it when you're running. So these, these faster intervals, I think set you up to just be a little more durable when you do get into some of the longer, slower stuff that you want to fine tune before race day. The other thing too, is by doing, by developing that VO2 max system, what you end up doing is you raise the ceiling at which you can potentially get to from your aerobic development. So doing some of these workouts kind of early in my training is going to put me in a position to potentially get a little better at kind of that aerobic threshold stuff later on in training as I kind of get into that system of training and focus more in on that. So let's take a look at kind of how these intervals look like. Like what am I targeting? How am I measuring? And that sort of stuff. So these these intervals are short. They're For me, they're rarely going to be going past, say, four minutes. Uh when I get into like the meat of this training site, part of this training system, I'm usually targeting between two to four minutes. And the reason I'm looking at two to four minutes is because that is kind of the sweet spot in terms of an interval that's long enough that you have time to get up into that system and, and really kind of expose your body to it. And, but short enough that you can kind of stack enough on top of one another and maximize the amount of volume you can accumulate, say, over, the given, over a given week. So I might start this off with doing some intervals that are shorter than two minutes. uh, But those are basically like preparatory workouts that are kind of getting me into the cycle, into the the routine of kind of doing these in a way that's going to be less risky from an injury standpoint. So I might start off this type of program the first couple of weeks doing things like maybe 10 by 60 seconds or 8 by 90 seconds, things that are a little bit shorter than what I would consider an ideal VO2 max workout but ones that are going to kind of put me in a position to be able to jump into that side of things uh, without the risk of kind of doing too much too soon, because these are faster. They are more intense. If I'm coming off an off season, if I'm coming off a lot of aerobic work, I do want to be mindful that my risk isn't outweighing the reward and I'm not getting hurt having to kind of take, take a, you know, two steps back for every step forward I'm doing just by, by not staying healthy during these. So I'll do some of those kind of preparatory ones to kind of get myself ready for it. A lot of times I'll even, advocate that someone who hasn't done these historically do them on an incline Uh, part of the reason for that is because when we look at just how impactful a fast interval training can be you really reduce that impact by going uphill versus flat or downhill so your injury risk comes quite a bit quite a bit further down when you're running uphill and your cardiovascular exposure to that is actually going to be easier going uphill you're just gonna be a lot easier to drive your heart rate up so it's kind of it makes a lot more sense and then the third thing to consider with this is what is your end goal? And for me, if the end goal is hundred miles, I'm not necessarily looking for like the very high turnover that I would maybe want to get for a shorter endurance race from these short interval sessions. My turnover is going to be relatively low for race day. So I'm not necessarily trying to fine tune that part of it as much. So if I can reduce injury risk and do these on a slight uphill, I'm going to probably lean towards that a little bit. Uh, I won't do them all on that. Sometimes I just like to do them on the flats because I have a, more, a little bit better relative perspective as to like what are kind of target times for specific interval sessions and things like that. And for someone like myself who's been doing endurance sport for quite a while, um, you know, I'm coming up on basically 20 years since I did uh, you kind of my first season of training for, for endurance events. So I have a lot of historical perspective as to like, well, what is ideal for me in terms of how far I should get in say a three minute interval session or how far should I get in 60 seconds? if I'm doing some of these higher intensity type sessions. And you know, sometimes doing them on the flats in relatively cool weather gives me a little bit better of a historical comparison and I can know when I've kind of developed this enough in in a way to kind of move on to, to the next system of training. So once I kind of get past that kind of those early stages where I'm feeling comfortable to target that kind of two to four minute window, uh, I am gonna. I usually gravitate towards kind of three minutes or right around three minutes just because it's kind of smack dab in the middle of two to four. And I find for me personally, when I'm right around three minutes, I can more easily build up my total volume per week uh, at this intensity. And the way to think about it is, like, say I decide to do five minutes instead of three. And by doing five, let's say that allowed me to do um, three intervals per week at that intensity. So that'd be 15 minutes of total time spent at that intensity and i'll say i drop that down to three minutes per interval and now i'm able to get six of those done in a week's time so that gives me 18 minutes of total volume per week at that intensity by doing three versus five so over the long haul i'm going to accumulate more volume at this intensity by doing three versus five Um, there's gonna be some individuality in that too um, the research just shows two to four minutes tends to be kind of the sweet spot for a lot of people. So that's kind of how I structure it. It's worked well for me historically. So um, I've kind of kept that in place. And with that, kind of like I said before, I've got a lot of historical comparisons in terms of like what I've hit with that three minutes of time in the past. So it gives me a good idea of kind of when I'm in a place to move on to the next. So the way I'm structuring this over the course of the plan then is I'm looking at the volume spent to this intensity each week and I'm building up. And My kind of target weekly volume here is usually going to be between like, say, 20 to 30 minutes. So I'm looking to do 20 to 30 minutes of this intensity uh, kind of layered into my normal training. So that week one might be, uh, you know, relatively low. So I might just do a single session of this. I might do like, say, three by three minutes where I'm doing three minutes on, three minutes off in between a good warm up and a good cool down. And then some strides in between that first warm up and that first interval just to kind of get that my legs moving to the degree that they're going to need to for that for that interval session. And so for for a session like that, a three by three minute for once during the week, that gives me nine minutes of total volume. So that's like a good starting point. That's a lot of times where I'll build from. Then maybe the next week I'll do four by three and get 12 total minutes. Then the week after that, I might do say a three by three on Monday and then another three by three on Tuesday for a total of 18 minutes. Uh, Then I might go four by three, four by three, and be looking at 24 total minutes. So I'm kind of gradually stepping it up each week, adding a little more volume as I work my way up to um, usually the most I'll do is 30 minutes. Uh, Sometimes I'll use uh, kind of the timescale I have available to me based on when the race I'm trying to do to determine how high I build up. Uh, also I can, I'll look at maybe when was the last time I actually went through this cycle of training. If it's been quite a while, I might be more likely to, uh, kind of build all the way up to 30 minutes versus staying a little closer to the mid to low twenties. Uh, I might also look at just kind of where are my, my distances that I'm hitting during this to see like how quickly I'm kind of regaining this stuff. So if I find that I'm hitting like my historic splits for three minutes during and I'm at like say 24 minutes to a volume, I might just say, okay, I've developed this enough. It's time to move on. So I'm using a lot of historical, uh, historical perspective. I'm using a lot of kind of like where I'm currently at, what I've been doing to kind of feed into where I end up stopping and moving on as well as the timeline I have uh, for whatever race I'm preparing for. Cause these races, you don't always have an exact, say 16 weeks or exact 24 weeks um, depending on when the the race decide to join into the race. And, you know, with enough forward planning, you can usually build it the way you want to, but you know, every once in a while you don't necessarily have that opportunity. So uh, I do try to be mindful of that as well. For me, I'm always looking at uh, in terms of uh, distance covered when I can start kind of routinely hitting about a kilometer in that three minute stretch. I know I'm getting to that point where I'm at kind of like my historic capacity there Uh, in the past when I would do like kilometer repeats and things to that nature, I would typically dip under three minutes, kind of the high 250s around uh, that type of a workout. So I know once I'm starting to you know, hit a kilometer or maybe just a pinch past that in three minutes uh, on a routine enough basis that I'm getting to that point where I've developed this system and it's okay or time to move on to the next thing. So once I kind of do that, the thing I am also considering within the context of this is it's not necessarily like four or five, maybe six weeks continually building up. This can be like something that's a little bit stressful on your body as you're accumulating more volume here. So a lot of times in the context of that, I might do what I call like a deload week. So this might mean like let's say I do three weeks where I'm building up. I do a three by three, so nine minutes. Maybe the next week I go for twelve total minutes. Week after that, I might do eighteen total minutes of volume at that intensity, and then I find that I'm kind of like feeling a little worn out, a little tired like I'm not quite recovering as fast, feeling a little more lethargic during the day or signs that I'm kind of like reaching that point where I've stressed my system enough and it's time to kind of take a little bit of a step back and just let my body catch up. So I might program a deload week in there where I just drop intensity, um, drop volume, let everything kind of catch up before I kind of make that next push for uh, a little more volume than I have done those previous three specific weeks. So like on a deload week, I might still do an interval session, but instead of going building up from that previous week's 18 total minutes, I might just step back again to nine and do that three by three session again, once during the week and, and drop my total mileage down as well as I'm kind of, you know, letting my body catch up and, and, uh, doing, doing that. Or I might step away from that three minute interval structure altogether and just do something kind of closer to what I did in the very beginning for some of those like primer workouts and do like a 10 by 60 second, just to kind of keep that in place, but not not overstress my system. Make sure I'm still kind of uh, honoring that deload week and making sure my body's catching up. And then uh, on what would end up being that fifth week after the deload, then I'll continue that build up and maybe target 21 minutes, 24 minutes, or whatever it ends up kind of kind of being based on where I feel like my body can can tolerate. And ultimately, like the grand scope with this, I'm always looking at this concept that I've talked about before of micro stressing, where I'm trying to do just enough so that my body's going to take that, recover from it, and get a little bit stronger versus doing so much in any one given session or any one given week that I need more time to recover from that than would be ideal in terms of accumulating more overall volume. So if I would go out and do say 10 by three minutes and get 30 minutes of total volume in one session, but that puts me just puts me into the ground for like, you know, seven, eight, nine days before I feel like doing another workout like that. Even though I got 30 minutes of total volume in on that one workout, I may leave volume on the table by needing additional recovery days to get to my next session. So it's not always in my best interest to try to do that one massive workout. It's also possibly not in my best interest because if I do say a 10 by three minutes, it's very possible that that ninth and 10th interval are going to be like slower and out of pace. And I'm not necessarily targeting the system I want to be targeting because I've kind of overfatigued myself to try to get to that. And I'm better off breaking that, that, uh, that 30 minutes of total uh, intensity into two sessions where I can get, say, uh, two five by three minute sessions that I can do a very, very good job of. So that what would end up being that ninth and tenth interval for the week are just way more high quality than they would be if they were all in one session. So that's kind of a a bit of an overview of that VO2 max short interval session of the the training block. All right, folks, this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by a company named Elemental Labs. Elemental Labs is a company that has created an electrolyte powder that you can mix into your drink. The reason Elemental Labs began developing the product Element is because Rob Wolf, Noticed that his performance seemed to suffer when he was taking part in one of his favorite activities, jiu jitsu. And after a little problem solving, he realized that it was an electrolyte situation, specifically sodium. So he wanted to develop a product that gave him all the benefits of the electrolytes without all the additional sugars and fillers that you would find in the traditional sports drinks. Element is packed with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. and comes in four flavors of orange salt, citrus salt, raspberry salt, and raw unflavored. So if you would like to up your electrolyte game, head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash hpo. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash hpo and place an order. All right, now back to the show. Then I would be I'd be moving into the next system of development that I'd be looking at, which you could consider uh your like your lactic threshold heart rate or your lactic threshold intensity or what a lot of times endurance athletes will call kind of like tempo intensity. And the way to think of this intensity is typically speaking for most runners, it's about the intensity you can tolerate if you were to just do 60 minutes as fast as you could. So if you had relatively fat fresh legs, um, you were pretty fit and you went out and just ran 60 minutes as fast as you could, as evenly paced as possible, that's the intensity I'm kind of targeting during this next phase of training. And I'm gonna structure it fairly similar to the way I did the short intervals. I'm just gonna stretch them out to be what I would call a long interval now, or a single tempo run. Uh, Reason being is the intensity is a step lower than those short intervals that I was doing previously. So I'm going to need to do more of them from a volume standpoint uh, than I would before in order to properly adapt this system of training. So for this particular, system i'm usually targeting between 60 to 90 minutes of total intensity during the course of that during the course of a week and i'm building up to that just like i did with the short intervals so i'm I'm not going to start at 60 minutes i'm not going to start at 90 minutes i might start at say 24 minutes and then build up and get closer when i get to between 60 to 90 minutes and i feel comfortable with where my adaptations were within this uh, system of training that's when i would maybe move on to the next one so the way i would maybe structure this stuff is I'd be looking at maybe week one. I would do say a twenty minute tempo run where I'm doing lactic threshold for twenty minutes. So it'd be like a warm up, twenty minutes at lactic threshold, and a cool down. I might just do that that once a week. And for me, this has been my lactic threshold heart rate historically the last like year or two has been about one hundred seventy five beats per minute. So I'll use that sometimes in some of the early workouts just to kind of like remind myself of what the perceived effort feels like and get a gauge at what my pace is at that and kind of get a look at kind of how long I think I'm going to need to be uh, tapping into this system of training before it's okay to kind of move on to the next phase of training. And, uh, you know, so using historical data, you know, where I've been at in the past with this, where I'm at currently is sometimes the determinant of like where I start from the total volume of the first week and where I'm going to try to work up to. And, you know, all of that, that kind of stuff. So if week one is just a 20 minute tempo run, you know, maybe week two is a three by eight. So I'm at 24 minutes then maybe week three is a 20 minute tempo run plus a three by eight. So I'm looking at, uh, you know, 44 minutes of total, then, I'm, then I might go a three by 10 and a 30 minute uh, during a week, which would give me 60 minutes. Total. So I'm kind of doing that same thing where I'm progressively building up. Same concept, if I feel like I'm at a point where I'm overreaching a little bit, I'll do a deload week where I'll reduce volume, reduce intensity, let everything kind of catch up and then continue to build. But I'm usually targeting that 60 to 90 minute range throughout this system with a variety of long intervals and a variety of uh, tempo runs. Early on, it's usually one session per week. Near the end stages, when I'm getting up to those longer uh, volume minutes per week, I'm doing two and, uh, same reasoning as the short intervals. When you think about it, if this is an intensity that I can generally do for about 60 minutes, all out, if I would go out and just do a 60 minute tempo run, I guess, you know, that's an all out effort. And i it might take me more days to recover the, from that than it would to get 60 minutes in a, in a shorter time window by breaking it into two components. And again, since this intensity is not super specific to hundred mile intensity, I'm not necessarily trying to train my body to be able to sustain this, you know, for for like a 60 minute time frame all at once. So breaking it up, I think, is just going to be better from a quality standpoint. And it's also going to be better from an injury prevention standpoint. And it's just going to be more enjoyable. I'm not going to feel like I went out and did a workout and then I have to pay for it the next two days because I'm you know hobbling out of bed and low energy from going too hard on any one session. So again, micro stressing concept is something to keep in mind with that. Uh, You're doing just enough to elicit a response as your body gets a little bit stronger and then you can kind of progress a little bit, there's chip away at it rather than trying to take out a big, you know, a big chunk all at once and then kind of pay for it afterwards a little more than what you would need to. Uh, So that's kind of that system that I'm targeting next. Then after that, I'm kind of moving into what I would consider kind of like the critical phase of training where I'm going to be doing things very specific to race day stuff. So for a hundred miles for me, If it's a flat hundred miler like a track, like I did for the hundred mile world record last August, um, you know that's going to be. I'm looking at kind of my aerobic threshold as being the ceiling of what I'm probably going to want to touch on that day. So I don't want to necessarily be pushing up to my aerobic threshold on race day. If I go up to 155 beats per minute for 100 miles, I'm probably pushing a little too hard. If that's the average, if you look at my heart rate data historically for hundred mile races that are uh, more runnable. I tend to average right around 150. And that might mean early on when my legs are fresh, when I'm fully hydrated, that I'm in kind of the low 140s. And then if I execute the race properly, I might be pushing up to 155, maybe even 160 by the very, very end. And it all just kind of averages out to 150. But from a pacing standpoint, you know, 155 on fresh legs is going to be a little bit too aggressive. So I'm I'm going to be staying away from going much higher than that on my focus training efforts in this next phase as I'm trying to dial things in specifically to to the race day. So with this side of the training block, I'm still following kind of that same concept of trying to build volume at that intensity. It's just kind of a continuation where I lowered the overall intensity of a given session, but by doing so, I have to increase the volume at which I do in order to elicit the response I'm looking for. So I might be targeting something like trying to run 100 miles at, at or just below aerobic threshold for a given training week. I might be trying to build up to that. So week one, I might do 35 miles at that. And then you know week two, maybe I'll target 45. And I'm building up and building up to the point where I get to these key weeks, which if you look at my training, tend to be those weeks that are very high in volume where I'm maybe hitting 150 miles in some of these training weeks. Uh, but within those 150 miles, I'm probably looking at, you know, a hundred, maybe a little over a hundred miles kind of right up to that aerobic threshold or between maybe 150 to 155 beats per minute. If we're looking at from a heart rate standpoint, um, if we're looking at from a perceived effort standpoint, I'd be looking at like a pace that uh, it feels focused, but I could do for hours on end if needed, and I can carry a conversation on. So it's uh, like I kind of said in the beginning, when we talk about that foundational building piece to the puzzle, we're looking at kind of a, an intensity that if if you look at it from a zone buildup, you're looking at kind of high zone two, maybe low zone three, uh, depending on how you're structuring your zones uh, in, in that framework. Uh, so that, that again, kind of similar mindset, just a different intensity and a little bit of a different, different uh, way to kind of put it on paper because of that. Uh, and that's kind of how I'm building that up. And the other thing I'm also implementing during this phase of training is I'm starting to kind of backload a bit of my volume and I'm backloading it to the weekends. So like Saturdays and Sundays are going to be like kind of key focus points during this phase where I'm doing like longer runs. And I might start out by just doing a solo long run per week where I go out on either Saturday and Sunday and do a longer effort. But ultimately for a hundred miler, I'm going to start structuring back to back long runs where. You know, I might do a 30 miler on Saturday, then another 30 miler on Sunday. And within that, I might be targeting all 60 of those miles right up to aerobic threshold, just really trying to fine tune that so that I'm just really, really comfortable at the intensity at which I'm going to use on race day. I'm really developing the mechanics I'm going to use on race day and just dialing that things. It also gives me a good opportunity to practice my fueling strategy a bit during these long runs, since they tend to be the more specific, uh, the more specific types of workouts that I'll be doing, it gives me an opportunity to practice how I'm going to fuel, how I'm going to hydrate, what kind of plan I'm going to do there uh, for race day itself. So um, I'll use a lot of my long runs to kind of fine tune that or remind myself of what's going to work and what's maybe not going to work from a fueling standpoint on race day as well. And that's kind of how I would, how I would structure that as I'm building up building up to that. And ultimately when I kind of get to the end of that, I want to kind of have a couple of big weeks leading into my taper. So that might be like back to back 150 mile training weeks with a hundred plus miles at aerobic threshold with, you know, weekend long run volume hitting upwards to 60, maybe even 70 miles total between a Saturday and Sunday. And that's kind of that final touch to the plan. Then, then I'm usually about two weeks out from the race in which I'm going to start to taper. So usually if I'm looking at a two week taper, I'll drop my volume and intensity down quite a bit. So that first week back, I might even drop it by 50% and just let my body catch up. I'll treat it a lot like a deload week where I'm reducing volume and intensity. And then that last week leading into race, I'm just doing whatever I feel I have to do to feel fresh for race day. So if I'm feeling like, okay, that one week after that last final buildup, has been helping, but I still have a ways to go. I'm going to be very conservative on running. I'm going to just run what I feel like running. I'm going to stop as soon as it feels like there's uh, you know, any, any uh, nagging kind of like reason to stop, whether that be mental or physical. I'm just trying to make sure I'm fresh on race day at that point. So I'm doing enough to feel like I'm still in routine feel like I'm not kind of short on the race day, rusty from taking the entire week off or something like that, but making sure that rest is the primary target versus trying to elicit any type of training response at this point in time, because you're just not going to do yourselves any favors from a improving your fitness when you're a week out from the race itself, regardless of what the distance is. Um, and the reason I picked two weeks is just, it's what's worked well for me historically. You know, some people prefer a three-week taper. Sometimes the plan can dictate that. I've had some really big buildups where I've hit some kind of historic volume metrics where I've decided to do a three-week taper just so I'm able to kind of give myself a little more flexibility to kind of recover from a a big training block. But more often than not, two weeks is kind of the target, the sweet spot for me. Uh, So that's kind of how how I structure that. Uh, In the context of all of this stuff, I do like to touch a little bit on strength training too, because this is a piece to the puzzle that I think is very valuable. And a lot of times endurance athletes, it can be between strength training. And I think like mobility type work, they tend to be the things that get kind of pushed off to the side as things get busy, as running takes up more time there, they tend to be things that you get thrown off under the wayside a little bit. Um, and they are least specific, I guess, from a training standpoint. So, uh, it, it makes a little bit of sense. If someone's like, absolutely crunch for time and they can they barely have enough time to put in the training that they need to do for a race, then I could I could see why they would maybe want to sideline the strength training stuff in order to get enough running in because that is going to be a little more specific to what they're trying to do on race day. But in a in a in a good setup, I think there's room for some strength work. And I think it can be very valuable an endurance plan, just similar to the speed work also those short intervals that we talked about earlier on. I think these can help promote your longevity, your injury resistance. Uh, even things like your power weight ratio can be improved by this, like your running economy, things like that, uh, correcting imbalances. So a lot of times since, since running is a highly repetitive movement, this strength training can help balance out some of those like muscle imbalances that you might develop from just running all the time, where you might see a situation where someone becomes quad dominant or their glutes aren't activated as easily. they post your chain isn't as developed as maybe their quadricep muscles are, and you know those muscle development uh, you know skewed setups like that are just things that are going to potentially put you in a position where you're maybe going to get injured uh, a lot easier down the road. So I think using some strength training to kind of prevent that, keep things going smoothly, and just kind of setting yourself for like a long a long lifetime in the sport, or being able to enjoy the sport, or or just simply feeling like you you know you have that component of your lifestyle in place uh, so that you you age well and you know I think about that too since I mean I'm a professional endurance athlete now but when I'm 60 I likely won't be competing at a high level anymore and I'm going to want to feel good and I'm going to want to you know have a uh, you know a good strong uh, uh, muscle development to to lean on as I get older and things like that too so these are all things I consider when I'm implementing strength and the types of strength stuff I'm doing tends to be maybe things that you wouldn't consider uh, an endurance athlete would do. I think like of the, the common conception is like an endurance athlete goes into the gym and and does like 300 sit-ups and 200 like, uh, you know, dumbbell raises or something like that with like these two-pound weights. And uh, it, it, it's that, that stereotype is probably there for a reason because it's probably happened enough in a lot of cases. But if you look at true endurance strength training protocol, it's actually going to look a lot more like, uh, you know, power training setup in the sense that you're going to focus on like full body movements um you know ones that are going to be kind of your tried and true movements like squats deadlifts um you'd be looking at like uh box jumps things like that kettlebell swings are all great running related type strength movements you can do and and not always high repetition either Uh, usually The highest rep range I'm going outside of kettlebell swings with some of these core movements like squats, deadlifts, box jumps, and things like that is about 10 reps. Um, And I'm going to do those kind of earlier on. I might do say like five sets of of 10 reps of of a weight that I could get probably 12 to 15 times if I had to go to failure. So I'm always leaving some in the tank. I'm not going to exhaustion. I'm doing kind of just enough to get what I'm looking for from it without having it compromise my next running workout. And, you know, early on in the training, that might be up to 10 reps, kind of in the middle of the training plan, I might scale that down to like five reps. And then by the end, I might even scale that on to two to three, all with the mindset that I'm trying to leave a couple in the tank, like two reps in the tank, sort of a mindset. So uh, though that's kind of how I'm working through this or layering in the strength training through it all. Uh, another thing I do quite frequently throughout the course of the training is some mobility work. some of this is very specific to me but it's not super uncommon within endurance athletes is one thing i recognized as i got about six or seven years into ultra running is i had very very immobile ankles very tight ankles and tight hips so for me i like to focus on a lot of like mobility work that helps both strengthen and improve my range of motion in my ankles and in my hips so i'll be doing some of that stuff from time to time Uh, I try to keep a lot of the stretching and the mobility away from the training. So if I do like a big workout in the morning, I'm not going to necessarily do those things before the workout. I might do them later in the day or after the workout so that, uh, I'm not kind of starting out with like, kind of like stretching type, type stuff before things that could potentially not be in my best interest from a, from a performance standpoint, if I'm doing, especially those short interval sessions. Uh, one thing people need to should be mindful of is when you're doing those more like short interval sessions static stretching isn't necessarily going to help you in fact it might lower your potential within those type of workouts or put you in a position where you overextend a muscle and end up pulling it or something like that which is you're going to put you put you behind schedule and not improve so if i do any type of like preparatory work before a speed session it would be more of a dynamic stretch stretch. So like more like lunges, leg swings, things like that. They're more dynamic and less less static in nature. Um, so that's kind of like the general like uh, view of kind of how I would structure my own uh, 100 mile stuff. When it comes to like overall volume and things, that's where I think things get tricky for folks, especially as they're trying to like develop their own. So when I talk about kind of the short intervals some of those lactic threshold heart rate or tempo run phases of training. And then ultimately those aerobic threshold kind of race day intensity type uh, intensities. Those are very specific to kind of where I've gotten to and what I need to stress my body enough to elicit a response. So like what I'm doing in between those sessions will be very specific to the volume that I've been able to tolerate within the context of that in the past so when we're looking at say the short interval sessions you know i might be running 80 to 90 miles per week still within that so i might be going out for some like you know 90 minute two hour easy runs aerobic up to aerobic threshold type runs uh in between those short interval sessions uh and kind of putting kind of like lower end long runs on the weekends uh but those are all relative to me so like it's going to always depend on the person in terms of how much extra volume you add to those other systems of training. So if you're someone who's kind of new to this and you've never run more than say 40 miles per week, you're going to want to consider that as you're kind of implementing some of these, these training principles and things like that. And the rule of thumb is essentially like you don't necessarily, when you're not doing the key focus workouts, the number one focus should be making sure you're recovering from them so if going out for, say, a 90-minute easy run the day after a short interval session is going to be stressful enough that it you don't actually recover from that session and it takes away from your next short interval session, then you need to scale that down to what's appropriate to where you're at currently. And over time, that might change. It will change, actually, as you're kind of like going through these cycles multiple times, building off of your, your background and things like that. And that's one of the reasons why I always say like endurance training is is a patient person's game. because you know, if I have a really good race, it's the that eight weeks I used finalizing my preparation for that is very important, but so is like, you know, the training blocks I did, you know, eight years ago, six years ago, four years ago, two years ago, one year ago, and everything between this is all kind of like an ongoing process that you're, that you're building off. So um, consistency is key. Avoiding injury is key. If you, if you can help it, because that helps you kind of really put that foundation in place and uh, makes it, I think, more sustainable. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Uh, If you don't mind, head over to your favorite podcast, listening device, subscribe, like, leave a review. If you like the video aspect, head over to the YouTube channel and do that sort of stuff. And uh, thanks again for your support and interest. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing And due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media, and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.